Faithful came within six feet of the spring at the foot of the hill difficulty, but never saw it, never heard it, never drank of it. Because, as he stood assessing the climb ahead of him, a very old man hobbled up to him. He was bony, clean-shaven, and moved with the sort of rickety steps that make bystanders constantly anticipate a fall. He approached Faithful purposefully, making eye contact from a good distance away and holding it awkwardly through many short, halting steps. Faithful guessed that this man had spent his life toiling outdoors as his skin was tanned like a hide, like the skin of a sailor. When he was just a few feet away, he asked, What is your name, Pilgrim? I am called Faithful. Oh, I like that. You look like an honest fellow and smart, wise enough to spot a good deal when one presents itself. I have a proposition for you. Will you hear it? So long as it will not interfere with my pilgrimage to the Celestial City. It may, but hear it all the same. I've been around a very long time, and I'll tell you this. You can try your luck with that hill and a thousand more after it. Probably seems quite doable now. You're undoubtedly feeling relieved, having come from the hill behind you. I see the mark upon your head, and I have one too, as you can see. Faithful squinted at the man's forehead, but he waggled it so much as he talked that it was hard to make out exactly what was engraved there. I'm in favor of all of it, to be sure, the old man said. It's a lot of toil for a man to undertake with no guarantee he'll reach the end. And when you remember that you'll only get your wages if and when you reach the end, well, would you rather not be content to dwell with me for wages provided each and every week? You work and you get paid. Then you work some more and get paid again. Imagine that. This is a most unusual proposition. Who are you, sir, and where would I be dwelling with you? My name is Adam the First, and my home is in the town of Deceit. What sort of work are we talking about? Not trudging drudgery like you see laid out ahead of you. My work has many delights, and my wages are sufficient, more than sufficient. Not to mention that you would be my heir when I, uh, shuffle off. Glancing back up at the hill difficulty, Faithful thought it was at least worth considering this man's offer. After all, he'd already entered through the gate and been delivered at the cross, and that had to count for something. For everything. Perhaps he could work for this man a few years and save some kind of security for himself, and then set out for the Celestial City, all the more prepared. Tell me about your house, Faithful said, and how many others work for you. Give me a a sense of the place. Oh, you'll love my house. It is maintained with all the dainties of the world, and I have a good number of servants, all my own descendants. And yet you offer it to me to be your heir. How is that? It's a long, long story, but we will carry it out all proper and above board. You will give me grandchildren, big and strong like yourself, and then by leaving my estate to you, I will be leaving it to them. See? (laughs) Grandchildren? I think you might have missed a step there, my old friend. Oh, didn't I mention? I have... 
three daughters, beautiful and far younger than you would think. Their names are Lust of the Flesh, she's a, a handful, uh, Lust of the Eyes, the, the prettiest one, and Pride of Life, my uh, pride and joy. You may have your pick. Marry them all, if you like. I can tell by your build and your obvious intelligence that you would give me many strong, handsome, clever grandsons to carry on the work. Oddly enough, this is kind of tempting. I'd love to marry and, and have a family, but uh, as you have gathered, I'm on pilgrimage. I can't be tied down forever. How long would you have us stay with you? As long as I live myself, but look at me. I've been on this earth quite a long time. Faithful nodded in thought, and the old man finally stopped wagging his head, his face frozen in hopeful anticipation. Faithful grabbed him by his meager white hair and pulled him in for a closer look. There, on his forehead, were engraved the words, put off the old man with his deeds. Faithful released him roughly and took a step back. No, he muttered. No, I won't be going with you. Oh, but think again. Your reward will be shut your lying mouth. If I followed you to your house, you would sell me as a slave, all your flattering words notwithstanding. Go ahead, tell me I'm wrong. A wicked grin spread slowly over the man's face. You are not wrong. But you will come with me all the same! He grabbed hold of Faithful's wrist and commenced pulling at him. Faithful tugged his arm back, but the wiry old man held on like a tick to its host. You're coming home, like it or not. That's right, I said coming home. You are already my son. Desperately, Faithful slammed his elbow into Adam's chest, throwing him to the ground where he fairly bounced back up with all the spryness of youth, still grinning, his wild eyes fixed on Faithful. A little fight in you, I see. More than a little, you wicked old snake. Now leave me. I'm warning you. Follow me one step up this hill, and I will kill you. I'll throttle you to death and leave your flesh for the birds of the air and the scavengers. Oh, a big fellow threatening an old man like me. My lord has commanded me to mortify the flesh and put to death the old man. <laughs> a lot of big promises there, but you don't even seem to have a sword. I aim to rectify that soon. In the meantime, try your luck, if you will, but mark my words. I may not be able to cut off your head, but I will wrap my hands around your throat and cut off your air. I will allow no provision for the old man, and that includes the breath of life. Fair enough said Adam I, turning his back and scrambling away. Have it your way. Oh, wretched man, Faithful said aloud, not knowing if he was talking about Adam or himself, or even if there was a difference. Then he set his face toward the hill and began his ascent. Hi and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's Timeless Christian Allegory, as told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 7 Losing Light As he slept in the pleasant arbor, Christian dreamed. He saw himself lying there while the sun went down until even the twilight had all but faded. And in that moment, when the darkness began to overtake the light, from the trees around him came the two ill-favored ones, crawling like bears upon their hands and feet, circling closer and closer. 
As they moved, the sound of dragging chains alarmed Christian so that he tried to rouse himself, but he could not. Both of these men carried shackles with them, and they set about affixing them first to his ankles and then to his wrists. No, he thought, I will be worse off now than simple sloth and presumption, for they were only chained at the legs. The cold metal pinched and squeezed at his flesh as the ill-favored ones went about their dark work. Suddenly, a flash of light came from the east, and the three shining ones rushed to his aid, swords flashing. They sent the wicked creatures fleeing and dashed the chains from Christian. The one who had clothed him in his new garments bent close and spoke softly, saying, Go to the ant, ye sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Christian awoke with a start, sitting upright and immediately rising to his feet. This hill was only half climbed. It was not yet dark, but he had no time to waste. Faithful was about a third of the way up the hill, pacing himself and making good time when he sensed it. Someone was following him. That old wretch, Adam I, he thought, and he determined to make good on his threats. But when he looked back, it was another old man, that haunting specter with the glowing face who had threatened to burn Faithful's house to the ground. He was climbing up now behind the pilgrim, slowly gaining on him. Faithful felt a heavy, oppressive fear pushing down on him, threatening to crush his courage and steal his clarity of thought. Then he remembered what Evangelist had told him. This man was doing the king's will. Yes, he'd said that, but also that if he saw this old man again, Faithful should be on his guard. Having hounded you for your entire life and having chased you out from your home, this man may now consider you his own. Faithful began to climb faster. Surely he could outrun an old man, or failing that, he would turn and fight. Christian made such good time to the top of the hill that he almost thought he'd made up for his ill-advised nap. He was in sight of the summit when he saw two figures running down toward him, flying from the top back toward the gate. They rushed past him without saying a word, but then one of them came to a skidding halt and turned back. Christian, is that you, my friend? <laughs> Mr. Timorous? Christian offered his hand, and the two shook heartily. Huh, are you on pilgrimage too? I was, he said, or we were. This is my friend, Miss Trust. Christian offered his hand to this stranger who only studied it skeptically. Timorous chuckled. Oh, no, don't worry. I know Christian from back home in the City of Destruction. In fact, our, our wives are rather good friends. I shall tell good Christiana that I saw you here and that you looked well. But truly, I must go. It was good to see you, neighbor. Now, Timorous, wait! I'm happy to see you as well, but what are you men doing running the wrong way? The city of Zion is behind you. Now, having climbed this difficult slope, do you now turn around and go down the same way, thus wasting your efforts? Mistrust shook his head. We were going to the city of Zion, but the further up this mountain we went, and make no mistake about it, this is a mountain and not a hill, the more danger we met with. And the last feather that broke the horse's back was this. We saw before us two lions. They may have been awake or asleep, we did not stay to find out, but we knew for a fact that if we got within their reach, they would pull us to pieces. Is this true? Christian asked Mr. Timorous. 
It is, I'm afraid. They were monstrous. When I've read of lions, I thought of them as massive beasts, but never dreamed they would be as large and frightening as these were. Why, one of them was as long from head to rump as Mistrust and I lying head to foot. I'm not ashamed to say that this frightened us both, enough to send us back the way we came, and if you've any sense, it will do the same for you. This report does indeed frighten me. Christian said, but where can I fly to be safe? Do you head back to our own country, which is prepared for fire and brimstone? I fear burning there far more than any sleeping lions. They might have been awake, Mistrust repeated. As I said, we did not stay to investigate the matter. At any rate, if I go back to the City of Destruction, I am sure to perish there. If I can get to the Celestial City, I am sure to be safe there. I must put fear behind me and venture forth. To go back is nothing but death. To go forward is fear of death, yes, but life everlasting beyond it. Come with me, friends. We will face these lions together. Mistrust sniffed at him and resumed running down the hill. Timorous only shrugged and followed after him. The bearded old man continued to gain, having nearly closed the distance between himself and Faithful, who, seeing the way this would eventually fall, decided to turn and face his pursuer. Faithful squared his shoulders and stood his ground, shouting, You told me to leave my home, and I left. Are you not appeased? Once you enter my debt, I am never appeased. Sorry to hear it, but you might notice that, unlike the last time we met, I am unencumbered. If it's combat you want, it will be a fair fight this time, old man. Why don't we just part as friends, yes? The old man smiled, doubled his fists, and rushed at Faithful, who made to grab him in a bear hug and throw him onto the ground, but even in his powerful grip, the old man wriggled his arms free and crushed a fist into Faithful's temple, stunning him. The pilgrim dropped the old man, took two steps back, and gave his head a painful shake. Then he went on the offensive, throwing all of his earthly strength into tackling this man to the ground. But his opponent simply stepped aside and watched Faithful bounce and tumble 20 feet down the hill until his back connected with a tree, bringing his fall to a sudden stop. You're all the same, the old man said, following him down the hill. You think your strength will be my match, but it's never quite enough. I use your feeble strength against you. Faithful planted his hands on the earth and tried to push himself to his feet, but the sandy soil gave way and he fell back to his hands and knees. I saw you with Adam the First, in league with the man of works, are we? The first man to break the law and pay the price. And I know of your secret inclining toward that man. He is mine, and now so are you. Faithful threw a handful of sand into the old man's eyes, knocked him onto his back, and ran again up the hill, like a gazelle with a lion on his heels. The warning of timorous and mistrust played over and again in Christian's mind, and he found himself dreading the top of the hill more with each upward step. To calm his nerves and comfort his soul, he did what had become automatic since encountering the cross where formerly he would absentmindedly pick at the cords of his burden when worry racked his mind, now he reached to his bosom to find the scroll given him by the Shining Ones. Christian froze. Where was it? He checked the pockets of his coat, his boots, and anywhere it might have fallen on his person, but it was gone. Christian fell to his knees in distress and despair. Somehow, he had dropped his most precious possession along the way. 
that thing which brought him relief in his fear and heaviness of heart, that holy charm that should have been his entrance to the celestial city. And now, as evening was already upon him, he had to backtrack, hoping against hope to locate it while there was still some light by which to see. He rose and made his way again down the steep hill, finding it scarcely easier than climbing up had been. As he walked, his eyes crossed back and forth over the way, searching on either side for the precious scroll and begging God's forgiveness for foolishly losing it. What little hope he'd held soon began to ebb away. At his present rate, it would take three times longer to go down the hill than it had to ascend, and he had very little time left before night would be upon him. Again, he prayed for help and direction and insight. Suddenly, it burned hot in his mind that he had been clutching the scroll when he fell asleep in the arbor, and that was the last time he'd seen it. He needed not to inch along searching for his lost scroll. He could run to that place of rest and, God willing, have it in hand before the sun set. Faithful's lungs burned as he reached the halfway point up the hill difficulty, a beautiful garden alcove set aside as a place for pilgrims to stop and rest. But Faithful could not rest. He could almost feel the hot breath of his pursuer on his back. Glancing behind him, he saw that it was indeed hopeless, and in that same moment felt his ankle twist against a tree root, bringing him down hard to the ground. Before he could even roll over, he felt an explosion of pain in his abdomen as the old man kicked him. In a surreal moment, Faithful thought about how embarrassed he'd be at taking a beating from such a man if he were not overwhelmed with pain and fear for his life. If Revelry could see him now, he'd laugh to scorn at his old friend and call him a milksop. The old man plopped down onto Faithful's chest, his bony knees bringing explosions of pain from beneath his collarbone. He then gave Faithful a thrashing, bringing his fists down like hammers upon the pilgrim's face and chest. The sound of packing flesh and cracking bones thundered in the backs of his ears. Mercy! Faithful cried. Have mercy! I know not how to show mercy. (coughs) Christian arrived at the arbor just as the sun kissed the horizon. He felt some comfort at the prospect of reuniting with his scroll and a sense of gratitude at having arrived in the daylight, but more than that, he was filled with sorrow and self-loathing, rebuking himself over and again for foolishly falling asleep in that place, which had been so graciously erected to offer a little refreshment for the weary. Oh, wretched man that I am, he thought, that I should sleep in the daytime, even in the midst of difficulty. His eyes searched for the soft patch of ground where he'd slept, but he could not identify one place from the other as he walked among the trees just this side of the garden. And then he saw something that caused him to stop short. An old man, whose face shone brighter than the setting sun, straddling another, giving him the type of vicious drubbing that might kill a man. Christian again reached for his scroll by instinct and again chided himself for having lost it. Without thinking, he drew back behind the trunk of an ancient olive tree. Peering out, he saw that the attacker was now hefting a rock over his head, preparing to crush the skull of his victim. Christian opened his mouth to cry out, but produced no noise. He willed himself to come out from behind the tree and rush to the man's aid, but remained locked in place. He had no sword, after all, or weapon of any kind. He did not even have his scroll. What if he intervened only to have his own head caved in? Without his scroll in hand, could he hope to enter the celestial city? It's not my business. It's not my business, he said to himself, hating the words as he thought them. 
For all I know, the old man was put upon by a thief and is just now getting the upper hand. His fear increased, and he shrunk back all the more. Then he heard a voice, both powerful and serene, calling out, Peace! Be still! A young man was emerging from the woods, not far away, his back to Christian. He wore a long robe and held his hands up as he spoke. At the word peace, the aggressor tossed the rock aside, scrambled to his feet, and bowed low before the robed man. He's not yours. He is mine. He is not in your debt, for I bought him with a great price. Now leave him be. The old man bowed deeper yet, and something seemed to catch his eye. Something lying in the woods. That's not yours either. But it's been abandoned. So little esteemed as to be tossed aside like so much trash. Peace, the man said again, and only then did Christian notice the holes in the backs of the man's hands. He covered his mouth as he wept at the sight of his prince. He wanted to run to him, but how could he when the evidence of his treachery lay right there, discarded on the ground, and the words of the old man like so much trash? And then the most dreadful thought yet filled Christian's mind. The warning of the man in the iron cage. He had been a pilgrim before losing all hope, locked forever in his own misery. When Christian had asked him how he'd gone from the former state to the latter, he had said, I slept when I should have watched. I left off being sober and alert and sinned against the very light of the world and all the goodness of God. Had Christian now followed in this man's footsteps? Was repentance beyond his reach? Would his lord condemn him? He pulled back further into the shadows and gathering darkness, still watching and listening. There is more work for you to do in the city, the lord was saying to the old man, whose face shone now brighter and brighter. The woman I told you about, and her children, they need your heavy hand right now. This man does not. Leave him with my burden, my yoke, easy and light. The old man drew up to the Lord, kissed his pierced feet, and turned away, moving quickly down the hill the way he'd come. The Lord looked down with compassion at the poor victim, whose face was battered and bruised beyond recognition. Oh, my child, the Prince of Mercy said, when will you learn? He can only assail you if you forget the truth you received at the place of deliverance. Come with me, and I will help you. Reaching down, he draped the poor man's arm around his shoulders and, bearing his weight, helped him stand and walked him into the woods on the far side of the arbor. When they were out of sight, Christian scrambled to his scroll and snatched it up to himself, examining it for damage, finding none, and kissing it again and again. He placed it in the inner pocket of his coat, next to his heart, vowing to never again let it leave his sight. The sky was orange now, prelude to true darkness, but Christian could not bear the thought of sleeping again in this place. Turning back toward the top of the hill, he ran, fleet-footed as Azahel, toward the top. The prince brought Faithful down into a ravine, where a pleasant pool sparkled with the waning light of the sun. The battered pilgrim was so stunned by the ordeal that it did not even occur to him how odd it was to find these features halfway up a hill. His lord led him to the edge of the pool and helped him sit. Oh, I'm so sorry, Faithful croaked. I know, and I forgive you. Be cleansed now of all your unrighteousness. Pulling the sash from his own robe, the lord dipped it into the water and washed Faithful's wounds. Old Adam I will call to you again, but do not listen to him. 
And do not give heed to false gospels, whether they come from that woman Jezebel or from those who change grace for works. Look at my hands, my feet, my side. I was pierced for your transgressions, and my grace is sufficient for you. (laughs) Faithful began to weep, and the prince wrapped his arms around the broken pilgrim. Rest your head upon my breast, he said, for you yourself are the pilgrim whom I love. And I am with you always, whatever you face, whatever you do, and whatever you fail to do. In the city of my birth, Faithful sniffed, they think of me as the strongest, the bravest, but I am so weak. You must learn to boast in your weakness and to find your strength in me. And mark my words, when the time comes, you will have more courage than you ever thought possible, and in exercising it, you will bring great glory to my name. Faithful rested upon his lord until the sun had set and only the last faltering purple light remained in the western sky. Taking him by the hand, the prince led him along the edge of the pool and pointed to a boat moored there. Night has fallen, he said to Faithful. You need to get some rest. I find it particularly pleasant to sleep below deck. Faithful nodded kissed the prince, and climbed into the boat. As he snuggled down into the darkness, he found a soft blanket and pillow waiting for him there. Touching his face tentatively, he found no wounds and felt no pain. As Christian ran, continually holding his hand over the scroll, his guilt, fear, and sorrow melted away. In their place, a deep and enduring joy filled his heart. While continually replaying those moments of cowardice and double-mindedness, he had remembered something else. He was sure of it. The Prince of Mercy had looked back at him, looked him right in the eye, and smiled. And now Christian smiled as well, running toward the top of the hill in the fading twilight. He was loved by his master still. Yes, he had been a sluggard and had failed to keep alert, Yes, that meant he now must cover the same ground three times, which he might have trod only once. And yes, he now had to run in the dark without the sun, hearing the noise of doleful creatures all around him, knowing that even lions had been spotted skulking nearby. But if he had been kept through all of this so far, he did not doubt that he would live to see the morning. Full darkness was minutes away when Christian looked up to see, just shy of the apex, a sprawling, beautiful palace. Not the equal of the place the interpreter had shown him, but of the same sort. Hope flamed up all the brighter as he mended his pace toward the well-lit edifice. But as he drew near, he saw the lions his neighbor had described, one on either side of the path. Only, Timorous had perhaps understated their size. And now there was no question. They were indeed awake. One of them spotted Christian as he shrunk back, fixed its eyes upon the frightened pilgrim, and roared, so deep and loud that he felt it reverberating in his bones. Christian gripped his scroll and took another step forward, bringing the other lion to its feet to snarl and roar as well. He looked down at his own feet, now frozen in place, and thought for a moment of turning back. Then the porter of the lodge called out to him, Is your strength so small, pilgrim? Too small, I think, to fight two lions at once, Christian answered. Fear them not, for they are chained, placed there only as a trial of faith to discover those who have none. Stay on the path, and they cannot hurt you. 
Christian fixed his eyes on the door of the great palace and pushed ahead through the midst of the roaring beasts until he stood at the gate before the porter. My name is Watchful, he said, and I surmise that you have had a trying day and could perhaps use a place to rest. (laughs) You have no idea. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5.com. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com slash audio. Hi, and Silva. Good. Good. Good.